When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast Stardom is within your reach. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. First off, thanks so much for checking out the series. Uh, we put out interviews, uh, three interviews every single week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you like what you hear, if you're into this type of format, hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. Of course, you can find us at all the major spots, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, even YouTube, where you'll find the video version of this interview as well. And with that, I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, I'm talking with David Duchovny, the actor, the writer, the songwriter. In fact, he's working on his third album, which is to be called uh, Gesture Land. But he's already released one track uh, just before the election called Laying on the Tracks. We're going to be talking about the record, what we can glean from it so far, uh, and the inspiration behind this first single as well. Uh, that gets into a lot of political talk, including voting, uh, him reading the book Sapiens, and how all that's actually affected the rest of the album as well. 
Uh, we're also going to talk about him finding his songwriter voice. This is David Duchovny's third album. So, you know, a- a- as you get started, you-, you-, you might mimic some of your heroes, but as you go along, you really start to find your own style. Uh, I really feel like David's starting to do that, so we're going to be discussing that. And then the stuff outside of his songwriting as well. He has a book coming out in February called Truly Like Lightning uh, that, uh, that centers around a Mormon family way out in the desert having to battle the outside world world and he also tells us he's uh, he's pitched it to showtime uh, to be a television show as well uh, after three years away from being in front of the camera, David also returned recently in the movie The Craft Legacy, following up the late 90s uh, film. So I want to hear what those three years away, uh, what he was doing the whole time. He tells us also that uh, he, he was uh, getting very close to shooting a film version of his book, Bucky Fucking Dent. And we'll also talk about some of his other characters, especially how a lot of those were actually progressive characters all through the years, uh, going back to Twin Peaks, Gary Shannon even the Red Shoe Diaries and the X-Files. So let's jump into this. It's Kyle Meredith with David Duchovny. Hey, how are you? So we're talking about new music uh, from your land. Uh, not quite the album yet, but we do have a new single and that's called Laying on the Tracks. And this is this is leading to the album though, right? The, uh, the what, third LP? Yeah, third album, uh, we're calling it Gesture Land. And uh I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out because everything's been thrown into disarray, obviously because of uh, COVID, and and uh, we we were we were pretty much done with uh, the bulk of it almost uh, ten months ago, but uh, you know we we had to record harmonies, background vocals, and other instrumentation, which is obviously taken quite a while. Um, but uh, you know, I've been been raring to share it for for a long time, and I'm excited when it eventually come out. I think that's that's just kind of the thing for everybody. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're all like eventually, sometime, maybe. I, yeah, I think that's yeah, most, a lot of my uh, most of the interviews you you'll hear are like, oh yeah, I don't really remember what we're talking about. I I, I did that ten years ago. Uh, right. it's coming out now? Oh, cool. Yeah, well, I hope you like it. Well, I, you know, to get at least a little preview on the rest of the record, you, you have given it the album title Gestureland. What what exactly is that? It was kind of just like I was, I was trapped in my home like, uh, like everybody this spring and, and summer. And I just was noticing, you know, that there, there, there's a kind not not virtue signaling, but just signaling. Like there was a kind of, there were all these signals going on, all these kinds of T-shirts and, 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 and everything. And I was just like, well, that's all great. Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to make real change, you know, and stop just just making gestures. So um, I'm hoping for real change. Now, putting out an album and hoping for real change is, is just a gesture, right? So I'm, I'm guilty as well. But um, I, I just had this experience of kind of almost a feeling like uh, a drift and, and not even understanding some of the gestures that I was seeing, but being aware that they were gestures and feeling like we were living in a, a gesture land. I, I don't know. I think I might argue your point a little bit there that uh, putting out an album is only a gesture because, I mean, with the idea of music, I know for a lot of songwriters, it is hoping for that connection and that connection leads to real change. And maybe I'm missing your point a little bit, but I, but I see it, this as being very active when you're putting out a record in, in you know, that, that, that you want to have to say something. I agree. I mean, I guess, you know, people say, in the sense that people say it's the gesture that counts, right? It, it's, it's an attempt. It's an attempt to reach, and, and, I, and I guess in that sense, yes. Um, I, I would rather live in a world where people were still at, at least making the gesture to 
to touch one another or to reach one another or to sway or argue with one another, you know? Um, I was just, I was just having a feeling of just being like drowning in, in so many different kinds of gestures uh, over, over a certain period of time that I, I just got kind of scared, you know, almost as if like, you know, I didn't know the language anymore. It was like that. Well, you get this um, definitely very poignant on, on this first single, this teaser track that we have called Lay It yeah. on the Tracks. And this is something, I mean, you have political songs, maybe it's like Dylan or, or maybe it's like Rage Against the Machine. But I, I know that this was written earlier in the year as I've read and everything. Uh, but at, at some point, you're going to have to figure out how the song, I don't know, for you, is it on your mind? Does it have to speak to right now? Or did you try to make it to where it's going to live beyond, you know, the election cycle? Well, my intention is always to try and write something that's going to be timeless so that it's, it's going to be, I mean, my, my, my process, I guess, or just my, my instinct when I'm writing a lyric is to make it universal, but vague, you know, in some way that <clears throat> can plug in for anybody, whether it's the emotionality of a, a breakup or a love song or, you know, vague political unrest, like in, in this song. You know, so that it's not just tied to a moment, but tied to a feeling. Yeah, there's a there's a line in there, and that's probably my favorite in it. Uh, there's a part of us that's always been at home in the blood. Yeah. yeah. And that that part to me is not very vague because that that is saying something about our our history. Like you know, that's I mean, um, the part of us that's always. I mean, it's not like this is a new situation. I guess is, is that what you're saying? It is what I'm saying, but I'll tell you uh, quite honestly that. And, and I know what I was thinking of when I wrote that line. I wasn't even writing that line about America. I, I, you know, I read like so many people, I read Sapiens like five or six years ago, which is like a history of, of Homo sapiens, of our, of, of people, you know, on this planet. And it's a devastating kind of an account of, of our, of our nature, you know, and, and the destruction and the violence that we brought throughout the throughout time and i was kind of thinking about us as as a species more than even us as americans so that just tells you the process of my songwriting is really i'm sure i was thinking about america too but like i know in my mind that book so profoundly um affected me uh in terms of our behavior uh as as a species um throughout all of human history. So uh, that's kind of where I was at. So yeah, it was like uh, that part of us has always been, you know, from the time we, we, we splintered off from, from some of the other primate DNAs, you know. There is, um, I, I'd wondered, you know, going into this, I think we've all become even more political and I've always, I mean, it's always been a big part of my life, the, the interest. I saw the picture you posted of, uh, I think it was your mom, a uh, 90 year old mom, uh, waiting in the rain to vote. <laughs> was was this, I mean, uh, did you grow up, I mean, very political in that, in that kind of nature? Was that always a part of your all's? No, I, I, would, I would say that's probably the first time my mom has voted. Yeah, my mom is from Scotland. She's an immigrant. And, uh, I, you know, I don't believe really she's ever voted before. And uh, she, she was just uh, moved this time around to uh, go on record as well. So, um, I did not grow up in a political household. My mother was a school teacher and wasn't political. My father 
my father was political, but not, how do I explain it? I guess he's a liberal Democrat. You know, he, he wrote a, a play called The Child of Lee Harvey Oswald, which was about the assassination of Kennedy. He was interested in less in, in the workings of politics and more in like social social thought, I guess, cultural thought. So in that sense, I guess I grew up aware of great movements that might be happening in the country, but not in terms of like grassroots stuff or even, you know, my father had a real healthy hatred for Nixon. I remember that, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a, enamored of the Kennedys either, you know, so it, he wasn't like a, a reflexive kind of a political follower. So, uh, yeah, so no, I, I the, the kind of all consuming attention on, on politics is very new to me. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I can't say that I like it, but you know, it's part of my life now that I, I wake up, I wake up every morning and I, I look and see what the fuck happened yesterday, which is crazy because life used to not be a day by day proposition like that. Right. It was four years by four years or a month by month or a year by year, but it was certainly now it's hourly. It's hourly. And I, it's, a, it's not just all on Trump's doorstep. It has to do with the fact that we have this technology, too, to be able to check in. But it's tough to, to have your own mind. Well, it's a, so, so with, you know, what's left to hear from Gesturland, which is the entire record beyond laying on the tracks. Yeah. I mean, it, is there more of that on there? I mean, is, would you call this a political album? Does it still kind of take on everything? Oh, let me let me get back to like a little bit about why Gesturland, because I haven't been asked that before because I haven't been talking about it. But I think also I was responding to kind of the way way one is forced to communicate through Twitter and through uh, social media, which is uh, in symbols and signs and quick kind of pops. And that it kind of precludes deep thinking in a way in favor of throwing out marks of affiliation. And I found that to be dangerous and unsettling. So I think that's more of where I was coming from. Um, so what was that last question as I come up? Well, I was asking if that, you know, if this song is really representative of the rest of the record. I mean, do, do you go further down that that path? I think less uh, specifically, like, I, you know, I have a line, a stupid orange man and a cheap red hat. I mean, I can't get much more pointed than that. Well, that rhymes. I could have <laughs> continued on. But uh, I don't have lines like that. Um, you know, I don't have lines where you allegorically go, you know, this is about that or, or this is about something else. You know, there's a, there's a share of love songs or of, uh, you know, existential songs. I don't know what else to call them. I mean, it's like every time, you know, every time I write a song, it's like it's a different person writing that song. And it just kind of has the has the point of view of that guy who's me nominally in that moment. But it, there's there's less of a through line of like, oh, this is this is a 2020 group of songs that are, are addressing where our country is or the election or something like that. So with three albums in, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I did read at one point, like, it's not like you've been writing songs all of your life. Like this is still sort of what, like 10 years or something like this. Do you find, are, are you feeling like you're finding your voice? Because usually when you start, a lot of us, you know, whether you can hear it in the song or not, we're kind of imitating someone, but three albums in, I would think that you're really starting to find that. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, the, the guy that I work with, Brad Davidson, he, he's been working in the music business a long time. And he says, you have your whole life to make your first album and then like six months to make your second. Right. So it's uh, I think 
songwriting to me has come in uh, a few separate bursts. Uh, the first one was the most, the longest, because I just, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know, I, I'd never written a song. So all of a sudden I started just writing songs, you know? And then there was a period after that, that I thought I should really continue to write songs, you know? Cause nobody was saying, you know, you must write songs and I didn't have to write a song to eat or anything like that. So there was no external pressure on me to write a song. And there wasn't necessarily that much time. So I really had to, at some point, tell myself, now I've got to write some songs because I won't write a song unless I write a song. <laughs> uh, like today, I could probably write a song, but I probably won't because I won't sit down and write a song. And that's the kind. That's kind of the way I. That's kind of the way I do it. At first, it was like got to write these songs. I've never written any. God, they're all there. They're all waiting. And then it was like, yes. And I think you're right. I think what happens is like after that first batch comes through that it's like more measured, more kind of like, well, who, who am I as a writer really? You know, what, what, you know, I can relax a little bit cause I'm not like, oh my God, it's happening. It's like, oh yes, it could, it could be there. If I, if I, if I take some steps out to meet it now, we could have a song. And usually I, uh, I'm pretty good at knowing like when I have a song. And then at first I used to just try to complete it on my own, you know, cause I wasn't recording. And then um, now it's more of a collaborative effort where, you know, I'll, I'll get my band involved earlier so that it, it's more of a more of a group, group effort. Well, I'll compliment your sense of melody. It reminds me quite a lot. I was thinking last night of Jeff Tweedy mm. because Thank you. it's yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're you don't come in with this chorus that's just, you know, what whatever Rocket Man or something like that. You know, it, it's almost this subtle thing that you realize, like. Oh my, you know, after you've heard it second or third time, it's like, hey, wait a second, this is really catchy, you know, in there. I think that's a that's a really good trick. Well, thank you. I mean, I I think part of it is probably you know limitations being uh, you know my friend, you know, like I I, I I would never write the chorus to Rocket Man because I can't sing it. You know, I was like, so <laughs> that, that that might it might happen if I was with the band and I'd say to Colin who's got who's got a far greater range than me. I'd say, I'm hearing it up here. You know, can you get there? You know, but if I'm sitting alone, I, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I thank you. I, I, I think that I love melody. I mean, I, I've always loved a nice melody. And uh, I certainly love Jeff Tweedy and guys like uh, Petty, you know, just very kind of um, not straight ahead, but like, uh, and, and simple is the wrong word too, but just like real rock and roll type catchy the first time you hear it you know it's nice to it's not a complicated memory you could kind of memorize it first time through you know it's all in there uh and i'll compliment you on that again i, I know that's not the only thing you're working on and when you, when you talk about you know today you might not write a song like i'm not surprised in that because i want to bring up a few of the outside of music things that you've got going on right too yeah. uh you've got another novel on the way truly like lightning yeah i got i got the galleys right here look at that it's beautiful a, a nice cover Beautiful. That's uh, I think I've, that's coming out in February, right? Yeah. February of this uh, coming year. Now I, I do find like, of course, I obviously I don't have the book, so I'm I'm going on you know what is out there so far. But I do find there is seems like a connection even when we listen to the song laying on the tracks versus kind of what you're getting at in the book too, because I think the quote I got offline here: "How we make sense of right and wrong in a world of extremes." 
this Ooh. seems like further on down that path as we were talking about, you know, just the yeah. inundation that we've been faced with. Well, it's it's fascinating to me if 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 no one else on the planet. But I, I do feel like um, if you can speak universally enough or poetically enough, then your work has a chance to to wait for its moment. Because, you know, ultimately, I don't think the moments that we have as humans are all that different from epic to epic, right? They're, they're gonna, you know, it's different dress, it's different time. We, we might look a little different, but, you know, love, hate, anger, revenge. I mean, it's all, it, it's not a huge smorgasbord of, of, of shit that we go through as humans, which I think is wonderful. And, they're, and, and the artists are the ones that try to interpret that. So, as you said, um, or as we were talking earlier, if, if you can kind of rise above the specifics of it and somehow encode the feeling in there, then all of a sudden it becomes appropriate in many different epics and situations. And what I found when I was, um, I was pitching the novel as a television show uh, this summer, and uh, I was able to uh, set it up at Showtime, um, not, not to get it on the air, but you know, to develop it. <clears throat> and uh, as we were pitching it, and this was during the lockdown of the summer, uh, it is a story that I'd written the year before. So, you know, long before COVID was probably in existence in the humans. It's about a, a guy who takes his family out of society into the middle of the desert and kind of raises a compound there away from, away from the world. You know, away from the modern world, he, he raises them kind of uh, in the uh, biblically, like in the in, in by the laws of the Old Testament and the Mormon Bible, and um, that took on a totally different light once COVID hit. Which you know, all of a sudden, you know, my agents were kind of teeing up this book, this show, as a response to COVID. You know, when in fact it's not at all a response to COVID, but I think the the desire to run away, to, to, to make a utopia, to, to get away from the contamination either of brain viruses or real viruses is, uh, is probably as almost as old as the, the writings of the Book of Eden itself. You know? it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, premise for a story too. I mean, you've made the, the, the character Mormon, which does give this story an opportunity uh, to have the conflict, I guess, because there he is trying to raise this family, which of course is multiple wives and everything, and, and gets faced with an outsider. Uh, again, I'm, I'm only um, well, that's true. saying what I've read from uh, <laughs> the press sheet so far. So, well, well that's true because you know it's uh, I. It, it's a weird conversation to have, but you know clearly it's illegal to have multiple wives in this country. It's against the law, but. If you look at Mormon history or, or Mormon founding, then, then it was more like the law that you should. And it's these questions of, and, and I think modern day Mormons have different feelings about it. But uh, it's a question of what is what is custom, what is customary, and the difference between what is customary and what is right, what is customary and what is moral, what is customary and what is ethical, changes very drastically from civilization to civilization, from century to century. And that's kind of what the book is about as well. It's kind of step back and look at my own relativism in a way. And what's my true morality? 
aside from my knee-jerk response to certain things that I'm seeing, that and what's really coming from me as a as a as a human being when I watch something and I have this feeling, isn't that my morality? That my empathy coming out, or my outrage, or my being appalled, isn't that like my natural morality? And shouldn't I somehow honor that rather than? some customs that have come up in the last 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, whatever, different clothes. So that's kind of what it's about. Do you find that you that you figure that part out as the story progresses, or do you go into the story trying to solve that riddle within yourself and then coming up with a plot that, you know, gives it the vehicle? It's a really good question because it's, it's all, it's like a knot that, that I couldn't untie for you. Uh, I have, um, I had no kind of overarching uh, interest in, in Mormonism, aside from the fact that it is really the only religion that's in Christianity that's grown up on American soil, right? So it's like, the, it's quintessentially American, you could say. Um, and then they had some precepts like polygamy and something else called blood atonement, which were very cool in terms of being able to be plot drivers for me. And, and that's really where I entered into that world, wanting to take those things out of it and use them in a story. And then, of course, I got kind of wrapped up in so many other things. But that was the, the original, my original movement towards, okay, I got to learn about Mormonism and I got to learn about all these things because I want to hang a story that has to do with certain kind of customs that Mormons have developed over the years since Joseph Smith. So, um, it's all kind of like, it's like, it just goes back, it kind of circles back on itself. And uh, so I didn't know, no, I didn't know any of those things. I didn't, just like I didn't know I was writing a response to COVID before COVID happened, you know? Right, right. Well, this all comes in the middle of, I guess, your acting career too, because it's yeah. been a few years and yeah. you kind of, I guess you, you actually did put the stop on it. You say, I, I'm going to stop this right now so I can work on the music, so I can work on the books and everything. Right. But we now have your first role in, I guess, three years, and that's with The Craft Legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like stepping away first off? I mean, I know that's the easy question. What was it like stepping away for three years and actually being able to go, not right now? Well, I mean, I, I have to say that I, in those three years, I, I had done, I tried a couple times to set up uh, movies and television shows uh, that got really close and then didn't happen. And I took up, so I was like working towards, uh, for instance, uh, uh, to make a movie of, of the novel Bucky Fucking Dan, you know, and I I think I probably would have shot it uh, this summer if not for COVID. I, I, and so, and I was constantly getting close with that. So I was kind of always like just about to do something and then it didn't happen. And uh, so I wish I could say that, A, it was all my idea, and B, I didn't spend any time on it. You know, it, took, it, it takes almost more work to not get shit done than it takes to get shit done, <laughs> So uh, I was busy trying to do a couple of different things with, with, with creators and artists that I really love, you know, and uh, just, just, uh, just would get this closer. But having said that, you know, after like a year and a half of that, I probably thought I should take a year off. But then like after a year and a half of that, I was like, oh, now it's been a while. Now I started getting nervous. Like, oh, I should get out there or 
what am I, what's it going to be like for me to act, act you know, because I had, I had not gone, I did a lot of acting. I mean, I may not do that many different jobs because I've done some tele, a lot of television, long-running television, but a lot of acting. I'm used to it. I'm used to like acting a lot. So that was kind of cool to go back. Uh, I would say for two years, it probably been two years since I acted when I, when I did the craft. And that was, I was nervous. I was nervous going back. I was like, you know, not, not so much. Do I know how to do this? It's more like, how do I want to do this now that I've had this like moment to like step back and go, yeah, I can do these other things that I like doing. And, and what is my, what is my approach now? You know, can I do it in a, in a way that's less kind of self-seeking or can I just, can I have, can it be better now that it's part of three things that I do rather than, you know, it's like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or have I, have I forgotten how to memorize lines? You know, there's, there's a lot of re- weird questions that first day for me that went away very quickly. But um, I guess the good news for me was that I realized that I, I really enjoy it. You know, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed working on the film. I enjoyed acting. Not intended luxury. Yeah. Do you, um, w- with something like this, that, that has a history, the craft being a movie that existed in the nineties and now, you know, a sequel of sorts in a way, or, or a further story, whatever you want to call that. As an actor, do you treat that differently if something has a legacy, no pun intended with the title there? Yeah. Than if it was an original story? Well, I guess I was lucky enough to know that my character in this movie did not exist in the previous one. So uh, to be honest with you, I did, I'd never seen the original and I, and I still haven't. I, I never saw it. I've never seen it. And in fact, somebody asked me, you know, what's your favorite line in the movie? And I said, uh, I really like that line, you know, we are the weirdos. And they were like, well, that's from the original. I was like, oh, well, I knew that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's got a great soundtrack, the original one. I could say yeah. that, you know, as I'm flanked by a couple of uh, soundtracks uh, that you've been a part yeah. of. It's a- I, uh, Zoe Lister-Jones, who I think did a great job with the movie, is a big music lover. Anyway, so she loves, loves music. And um, I'm sure the soundtrack... Uh, for this and whatever ensuing soundtracks come out of this is going to be great. Now it's 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 got a good legacy to to go with there the soundtracks, I, you know. And and I'll wrap it up on this too because the one thing I notice about the craft legacy is that, you know, it does speak to a new generation. And I'll I'll just go ahead and you know uh, mm-hmm. see the the Gen Z uh, side of things. And as I look back on your career, not everybody has this as a part of it. But I thought you were sort of talking about a lot of this really early in your career and a lot of your roles, you know, you, you played, uh, you had a transgender role in the early years. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like even, you know, Red Shoe Diaries to a point, you know, is yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. a little bit of that in a diff- very different way, but yeah. I don't know. Did, do you find that you're able to connect to it in that sense easier than, you know, other folks have been? I, I think, I, I think I have a real um, appreciation uh, for, for like a transgressive point of view or a, subversive point of view. So even something like Red Shoe Diaries, it's subversive in a way. Uh, I, I can't tell you how, I'd have to really go back and look at it. Sure, sure. Certainly X-Files is subversive, even though it's a mainstream you know, network television. Uh, Californication in a way I think is subversive. Uh, you go back to uh, Twin Peaks, and I don't think she's uh, transgender. I think I think Denise Bryce is, is a transvestite. I, I could be wrong. It's been a long time, but yeah. it was very interesting doing that role again in 2017. I think is when I did it, and reading some stuff about how 
okay, he's allowed to do it because he did it before. But if we were casting that role now, we'd have to cast it this certain way. That was interesting. Uh, so I think, I think I just, you know, I just respond to kind of outsiders in a way, um, even though, you know, right now I'm the ultimate insider being, you know, male, white, my age, uh, you know, but uh, that's just the way I'm drawn, like Jessica Rabbit, you know, on the inside of I feel transgressive. Well, I'll even bring up, you know, the, the great moments on the Gary Shandling show. I mean, right. here you are saying, no, I'm not gay, but I wish I was because <laughs> I think that's at your yeah. actual line there because. I kind of spawned a million uh, bromance jokes in a way. That was kind of maybe the first, one of the first times that kind of a thing. Yeah. And that, yeah, I would say that's, yeah, I, I, I would be comfortable like walking into that area and trying to act in it and trying to figure out what it is, yeah. Well, David, I, I certainly do love what you do with everything. Yeah. And I'll bring up uh, the, the most recent stuff. The Craft Legacy is out truly like lightning February of 2021 and gesture land at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking about all this today. It's been so much fun and a real pleasure. My pleasure too. Thank you. My thanks, David Duchovny. Uh, the latest single is called Laying on the Tracks, the upcoming record Gesture Land. And, of course, that uh, book he's talking about, too, Truly Like Lightning, and his latest film, The Craft Legacy. Big thanks to David. Big thanks to you for checking out this episode. Again, I do hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all of the interviews that we put out every single week. A brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, YouTube, where you'll find the video version of this if you want us to actually see the, uh, the Zoom call that we had. Then after all of that... Head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along in, the, in those places as well. And that does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I have the same mug. I have that mug too. Do you have the fisticup? Yeah. Is what? that what Yeah, the fisticup. Uh, I'll go run and get it. It was a gift from a friend of mine named Daniel Erdman. Yeah. You got to be careful if you microwave that guy because that'll burn your hand. That's metal. You know, I that, do not microwave this. No. Do not. Do not <laughs> microwave the fisticup. I'm looking at the bottom of my cup. Well, it says knockout Fred. It says designed by oh, yeah. John Christophe Karich. Is that it? That you too? Yep. That's the same thing. And what does it say right under that? Not for use in microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, did you do this in the microwave? Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. And then I grabbed <laughs> it. I was like, fuck. It's metal. <laughs> metal in the microwave. No, no.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.